Hello, everybody. My name is Daniel Prince, and I am the host of the Once Bitten podcast. This is a podcast focused on Bitcoin. It's my mission to interview as many people as I can around the different aspects of Bitcoin and help people understand exactly what Bitcoin could mean for them and for their families and for their future. I hope you enjoy the show. Thank you so much for listening. Hey guys, welcome to this edition of the Once Bitten Podcast. Joining me on today's rip is your boy Angelo Morgan Summers, who was highlighted to me by the Wizard of Oz, BTC Shilling Point. Thank you very much for this heads up, my friend. Uh, we met each other for the first time in real life in Riga, and after Riga, uh, Wiz went down to the uh, Isle of Man to hang out with the two Dannys and met Angelo and was blown away by this young man. I then watched his TED-style talk about fear, which he delivered when he was, I don't know, 17, 18 or something. He's still pretty young, even today. And uh, he's written a book as well called Do Bitcoin, The Future of Money and What You Need to Know. I need to shill it now because we do not talk about it once in this episode. We got into so many other little rabbit holes that you can't believe this young man has been through in his lifetime. And then finding Bitcoin at such a young age. It's an incredible story. I hope you enjoy it. I hope you reach out to Angelo and I hope you get as bullish as I do with the amount of young people that are following us all down the sound money Bitcoin rabbit hole. Anyway. Uh, before we get into the show, uh, there's an order to do this. If you are new to Bitcoin, you want to come in and you want to buy your first Satoshis, please do that in a slow and deliberate manner. Don't go aping in and spend all of your cash on Bitcoin only to regret it in a month's time. Do it slowly. Fiat cost average, dollar cost average, pound cost average, whatever it is, by a small amount each week. You can set up a plan. There's likely a company in your jurisdiction that can help you do that. Look out for Bitcoin only companies. Uh, in the US, you can look at swanbitcoin.com. Across Europe and the UK, you can look at relay, R E L A I dot C H forward slash bitten. You can look at Coin Corner as well, who are an exchange. All of these companies are Bitcoin only companies. And with Swan and Relay, they have a white glove private personal service for you to utilize as well if you need that extra added help. Hoddle Hoddle are your one-stop shop, your go-to for the peer-to-peer -peer global trading platform where you can trade with other plebs around the world your fiat for Bitcoin. You don't have to do any sign-up, any KYC. You don't have to send in your details. You just figure out where is the best price for which currency and you exchange via the platform there. So hodlhodl.com, hit the link in the show notes and you'll save on commission. If you want to up your privacy game, if you've been in the Bitcoin rabbit hole a little while and you want to add a little bit of privacy to your stack, you can use a CoinJoin service. WasabiWallet.io is very easy to use. You can download that directly, a wallet onto your desktop computer, create a wallet and run some sats through it and see the magic happen in front of your eyes. This is something I urge you to start learning about. If it's for you, great. If it's not, fine. Just please do your own research on all of these things. But last and not least, you've got to take control of those keys. Get a Bitcoin hardware wallet. Shiftcrypto.ch forward slash bitten 
has you with the Bitbox 02 Bitcoin only edition. Enjoy this rip with Angelo. All right, third time is a charm, Angelo. We are recording. How are you doing? I'm doing good, man. How are you again? <laughs> <laughs> Seem to be holding up. No one's freezing and we're not dropping out. So fingers crossed. Yeah, really well, mate. Really well. Did uh, How'd your Christmas, New Year go? All good? Yeah, it's good. Got back to see the family and stuff in Wales, which was nice. Um, it's been a while, just sort of head down basically the entire year. So it was really good to get back and see people and some more friends and stuff. But yeah, back at it now. And back at it where? This is this is a cool story. Yeah, so back at it in the Isle of Man now. Um, so yeah, I moved. Well, it feels weird to say, but I moved there. I moved here last year now. It's uh, January, whatever, 20. 2023 um yeah last year in april uh, i moved to the alaman to go work for um fast bitcoins uh and basically gone full-time with them now and uh so yeah when, just when i thought my life couldn't get any more bitcoin it got more bitcoin so <laughs> and i love it it's great <laughs> so how how did you find danny what how did you find the the role because there are so many plebs out there wanting to make a switch and they want to hear from people like yourself that have managed to do that. Well, originally, I was actually planning on just creating Bitcoin videos and Bitcoin content, just trying to explain Bitcoin in novel ways. Um, that's kind of like my main interest. So I was trying to do that um, by myself, essentially, um, using or stealing my brother's camera, um, basically to, to try and make some YouTube videos and talk about, about Bitcoin and stuff. This was in... October of 2021 so from like September through October I started pushing that more and um yeah there was an event a conference in Manchester called Coinfest um which was very shit coiny I'm not going to not going to lie um it tends to be but it was good nonetheless and and Danny was on a panel there with um Obi and a few others. uh ended up being quite a funny panel um because there was a couple guys that were talking about how bitcoin is uh, it's going to be obsolete, and then you love coin is going to be it because you know old people don't understand the name the, the name Bitcoin and uh, a name like love is much more easy to understand, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, so it was a lot of sort of basically ended up being a Bitcoin versus crypto panel because Danny was on it. Whenever Danny's on a podcast uh, on a panel, it becomes a a Bitcoin versus crypto panel pretty quickly. Um, but yeah, I just, I just asked a question, which was uh, I think I said something along the lines of. Um, yeah, I'm uh, coming at you as a, a member of Gen Z. I went through uh, a crypto phase as well, but then I grew up or something along those lines. And Danny seemed to quite like it and practically gave me a job on the spot <laughs> after realizing <laughs> that I was making videos and stuff. Um, so I think that tickled him the right way. Uh, but yeah, so it was weird. Um, I was speaking to, to Obi then after that and Danny came up and we had a good long conversation and one of those Bitcoin conference conversations where the soles of your feet start to hurt because you've just been stood there and you can't leave because every new topic comes onto a new topic and a new one, a new one. And um, yeah, Danny ended up asking me what I was doing and I tried, I, I was explaining uh, what I was trying to do with the videos and yeah, he just brought me on board and, uh, and imported me to the Isle of Man. And um, so, yeah, uh, I've been here now working, making, making videos and, yeah that's awesome and it, what was the, the 
we should back up a little bit here because um do you mind sharing your age uh 20 <laughs> you see that's so amazing that's that's and i'm sure a lot of uh listeners who are listening to this right now have got a big smile on their face knowing that somebody as young as yourself has found bitcoin is as deep down the rabbit hole as you are has found at work at a bitcoin only company and has made a move as well so so young uh, you know, to to move away from home and to you know trust uh, in Danny and in fast bitcoins and to get across the Isle of Man, it's big. It's uh, you know you should be very proud. What um, what was that like? The first few months away from home, Isle of Man, everything's new. What was going through your mind? Um, don't fuck up. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was uh, it, to be honest, I've like I've spent quite a lot of time sort of nomading around a little bit um and yeah so i've been back and forth i've basically lived on the m4 which connects wales to england um for the majority of my teen years pretty much since really getting into what was back then crypto but obviously then you realize it's bitcoin um but yeah after getting into that uh, there was a lot of moving about and sleeping on sofas and stuff so i'm kind of used to being away from home in that sense so it didn't feel too big of a jump but um yeah in retrospect it was but but at the time yeah it was kind of just sort of um crossing every bridge as it comes and i was just really excited to to be able to sort of merge i mean my, my two interests in life have been films like filmmaking and bitcoin like those are the two primary interests i've had um and they they beat third place by a lot so to be able to merge those two um was just really really exciting so yeah just a lot of excitement and uh and that's pretty much it really yeah well you were uh you, you were brought onto my radar by uh wizard of oz big mm -hmm. shout out when him and izzy came yeah. to visit uh the island after the uh the baltic honey badger conference in riga and he said dan you got to speak to this kid and he sent me a link to the talk that you've done Kind of, kind of like a TED talk. What's the best way to uh, explain it? What, what, why don't you tell uh, the listeners what what talk you delivered and and why and the content of that talk? Yeah, so that was I think it was twenty eighteen, um, and uh, yeah, so I was giving a talk at the Do Lectures, um, <clears throat> which is basically uh, TED talk is kind of a good way to to explain it. It's sort of um, you're talking about topics that are sort of more more broadly life related a lot of the times and, and people often sharing their stories and, and what they learned from them and stuff. And, uh, I knew the people that ran it and, you know, they heard about my story and stuff and invited me on to basically do a talk. And I didn't know what, what the hell to say. Cause I was like, probably, I think I was 15 or 16 when that happened, 15, I think. So, um, yeah, I was terribly nervous to go up and talk about my story, but it was, it, it essentially ended up, um, just being primarily about the, concept of, of fear and I, I was quite latched on at the time to this idea that or theory even that fear causes you to um it causes the failures that that is presenting itself as a um divergence from so something saying <clears throat> don't yeah you've got a fear against doing one thing it tend to lead into that and it was just a sort of idea I was playing around and I tried to tie that into my story and stuff but um yeah, that was a, a weird experience for me because it's probably the only thing like that that I have done. Um, 
and the only thing I've done since. And so it was cool just going from nothing to all of a sudden on stage. Uh, so I was, I was quite nervous, but it was good. It was good fun. Well, do you mind if uh, if we delve into the story of, of of what happened to you and you know that life changing moment and life shaping moment? Uh, I think when was this? 10, 11, 12 years of age or something? 12, yeah. 12, right, okay. Yeah, tell us what was going on, man, you know, and take as long as you like because the listeners love details and we've we've got plenty of time. Okay, so I guess I'll take it back to um, primary school, really. Um, so, and yeah, I've, I know a lot about your uh, opinions on education, so you'll probably like the whole thing. Um, but... Primary school for me was uh, an interesting one. Um, it was sort of, to round it up, it felt like being a, a round peg in a square hole or whatever the saying is. Um, it, it just wasn't quite a right fit. And I think that's uh, that's definitely a bug of uh, broad scale education solutions because when you are doing broad scale education solutions, they're by nature blanket solutions and not everything, everybody is going to fit perfectly under the blanket almost by um almost by definition because you're often when you create a blanket solution you target it like a, a sort of an amalgamation of everybody you take an average person or your john doe uh is that the yeah john doe you take the average john doe and he doesn't actually exist nobody is exactly that person um people are just differ in to varying degrees from that person and some people differ quite a lot from that person, and especially when it comes to educational learning and stuff. So, yeah, primary school was sort of, um, it never really felt to me like a place to go and learn. It sort of felt like a place to go and learn how to be good. Um, and it was never up to you what being good meant. That was sort of decided and unable to be questioned. And it was, it was quite a Christian school as well. So there was sort of, if you were to question um, God and stuff like that, at a young age, I think is fair enough. And that would just get shouted at, punished, which is kind of crazy because you're a edu you're an institution built for learning. And if you ask a question, which is sort of the predicate of learning, then you get shut down. So I, I always found the whole culture of of school to be quite odd. And it started it always felt a little bit like a waste of time. Um which I know is maybe not the most accurate way of describing school, although it does have its shortfalls, waste of time um, may not be completely correct, but inefficient, I think you can say, I can die on that hill. Um, and so pretty inefficient. And I, I felt like that for ever since I was in school, really. Um, it, was, it, was, it was never a smooth, smooth journey, and it is for a lot of people, which is great. I think if it can be a smooth journey, that's perfect. Um, but yeah, it just wasn't for me. And so, um, I kind of just had to sort of suck up and deal with that because at that age, you don't think that not going to school is an option because you, you mention it once and you get instantly shut down when you're very young and you realize, oh, it's just a law of nature. You must show up to this building at this time and leave at this time. And then that's, that's that it's sort of physics. Um, but yeah, so then I, um, excuse me, then I went to uh, secondary school which was kind of, I guess I preferred it a little bit because it was still technically an increase in, in the level of freedom that was afforded to, to students from primary school. It was like a slight nudge in a preferred direction, but with that benefit also came its own drawbacks 
um teachers seemed even less interested slightly more um more punishy if that's a word than than before and it became stricter and again wasn't the perfect solution for me um the curriculum i also tended to disagree with there's no choice in what you choose to to learn or natural progression to want to understand things it's sort of you must understand it's not even you must understand things you must memorize the correct answers to questions we formulated and it just never felt right um so i'd say yeah i was starting to be pretty fed up and i think when kids get fed up of school they tend to just tune out and when you tune out you're not learning anything anyway so the idea of it being a waste of time becomes even more true and after a couple of years uh i ended up finding parkour which is the crazy people doing flips between buildings and stuff like that and um i absolutely loved it i've always been quite into extreme sports and a bit of an adrenaline junkie so i think it played into that quite a lot um and they had a uh after school session which was the highlight of my life at the time it was something for me to look forward to at the end of it all um and so i started going to that and became incredibly obsessed with parkour and i still love it to this day although i haven't done it much because it turns out to be very hard to do parkour in the uk because it's well i have a general rule if you want to predict the weather if the floor is dry it's about to rain because the floor is always wet and that's something that i realized on trying to learn how to do parkour um and so yeah it's kind of died out but it it's still a huge passion i like the idea of being able to just move in creative ways it's just something that's intrigued me for a while um so, so yeah I, I was doing that for a while uh started to get a bit better um and went to a couple competitions one of which uh kind of i guess was the crossroads in my life which led me down the path and finding bitcoin and and sort of taking back the reins in a way which was uh due to an accident that happened because i uh jumped from one bar to another bar essentially landing rather than my feet which is what you're supposed to land with and with my rib cage which is what you're not supposed to land with and it did quite a lot of damage um to my spleen which i didn't really know at the time it took a few days um but after a few days i realized i should probably go to the hospital uh, i even went back and tried to do more but i really wanted to win the competition so because you can't feel a spleen injury that much i was sort of sat there just like uh that was intense i feel weird but i don't feel any sharp pain it's not like i've grazed my knee which i'm used to it wasn't the type of pain that i was used to understanding so i went back and tried to do more parkour and i kind of just like <laughs> did one jump and went nope that's not it so i left and a couple of days later i ended up going to the hospital because it wasn't i wasn't feeling much better um the doctors said it's a spleen thing and i didn't know what that really meant but i was like it doesn't sound good um so i ended up looking into it online and as it turns out, the spleen filters 80% of the body's blood every hour, I believe, or two hours. I forget. It's been a while since I looked into this stuff. But um, so I figured, it, yeah, they basically sent me up to the the bigger hospital, which is like a 45-minute drive away. When I got there, I was, it's pretty awkward hospital. I was ended up waiting for a good few hours. But eventually when I got to see a doctor, 
they were like, yeah, there's something going on with your spleen. We don't know exactly what it is, but we can tell from like your symptoms and all the fancy tests they were doing that, that it was to do with the spleen. So we wanted to take a look at your spleen and figure out exactly what's gone wrong. Um, and the way they would do that was with a CT scan, but they also couldn't provide exactly, well, they couldn't provide any information about why they would need to do it or what, what the outcome of it would change and whether or not they could actually find anything from the CT scan that would alter their actions. They're like, no, either way, you're lying in a bed for a while until you feel a lot better. And if something happens, then we take action. But basically, you're just going to lie in a bed for a while because if if it was a burst spleen, you'd be dead by now. Um, so it's not a burst spleen, but there could be a tear in the wall. And if there's a tear, then essentially, it's kind of like if you've got this paper, right? Because by itself, a piece of paper is like pretty strong. But if you put like a little bit of a tear in it and then you pull, it just comes straight apart. Mm-hmm. So they were saying that that's essentially what's what could have happened to my spleen. In which case, if I did so much as fell over, um, that could be it. Because I live quite a distance away from the hospital as well. Like I said, 45 minutes. And uh, if it takes 45 minutes for the ambulance to come and get me and then 45 minutes back, you're already your your statistics of survival are dropping basically um and so i was kind of nervous as well about ct scans because i knew that they involved a lot of radiation um and knowing that they weren't going to change their course of action either way i ended up deciding to go against the ct scan and and just head home and and heal by myself which sort of kick-started a midlife crisis at 12 uh, basically <laughs> which was funny but yeah i got i got back and basically everything came into into question there was a couple of days where i was just mainly thinking about the injury and just trying not to move the wrongly or something because in my head right i've got this big sack of blood that's going to kill me in my side and if it tears if i like move like this it's going to tear and i'm going to die like that was what i was thinking for the first At couple days 12, and then i as well like that that's that's nuts it was pretty awkward, a pretty awkward situation, yeah. Um, so after a few days, then I started to question. Well, I was reflecting then more because when you're thinking about death that much and that intensely, and it's not death over there, it's death here. You kind of have a bit of a perspective shift. Generally speaking, it sort of shakes things up, and they f- tend to fall back. When I, when anything's shaken up, it tends to fall back in a slightly different um, structure. So that was definitely shaking it up a little bit and looking back at that period of time I'd say it was kind of the catalyst for the rest of my life because it's easy I think to delay dealing with ideas such as mortality and stuff like that because they often seem distant and when something is psychologically distant it's not a problem like if there's if you hear of a terrible piece of news that went down just down the road, it feels very real. And if you hear that it happened in the Middle East, it doesn't feel very real at all. It's distance, right? So that took away some of the temporal distance between mortality and me. And instead of being a potential thing that may happen in the future, it was a state. I realize it's a state that you're in constantly, not just because of the injury, but even without the injury, mortality is is a state that you're always in. It's not a potential thing that may or may not happen sometime in the future or something that will happen in the future. It's something happening now and it's something 
it's an attribute of you. And so I think coming to terms with that was, it made me reevaluate how I was spending time because the idea of time being finite became quite obvious then. And so naturally I wanted to spend it in better ways. And I guess since then I've been trying to to do that. Nothing's really changed in a sense, but um, there was a lot of things that I was spending my time on, school being one of them, that I felt better off without. And so after a while, I sort of talked to my uh, my, my dad about it and, and I knew in my head I didn't want to go back to school. And I was, I guess, with the new perspective, I had kind of my stick in the ground a bit more because it just put things into perspective. Um, I was slightly less worried about my dad going, no, you shouldn't want to leave school. School's good for you. I didn't really care about that anymore. I just wanted to say how I felt. And so after a few weeks then, I tried to go back to school and it didn't really work. I tried a, a couple of days a bit prematurely probably because the injury was still kind of a very recent event. And... After a lot of talks with uh, my dad mainly, I he basically said, okay, I hear you, you don't want to go back to school, you think you'd be better off learning at home. Um, do you want to like, sit down and talk about it extensively and talk to the rest of the family about it? So instead of doing that, I, I wrote this 22 page like PowerPoint presentation essentially about outlining all of the pros and all of the cons because I also I wasn't just saying like I've I figured it out now I've got some new perspective I figured it out and I don't like school and I'm not going back it was more of like I really want to spend my time the best way possible and I just don't think school is it so I genuinely wanted to understand the pros and the cons so I was doing a lot of research as well like I was concerned about the social aspect you know you think originally you think homeschooling everything that's portrayed or everybody that's portrayed as home educated in Hollywood is like some social recluse that doesn't know how to talk to people and is all weird and stuff which just as it turns out isn't the case um is the polar opposite doesn't happen <laughs> yeah yeah oftentimes I mean I've met your daughter and she's incredibly social incredibly vibrant even amongst all those wacky bitcoiners in Amsterdam um but yeah so I, I wrote that document and tried to steel man the case like for school as much as possible um and then argue against it uh because if you really want to know if you're right you shouldn't yeah straw manning something is not gonna prove that you're right you want to build up as strong as an argument against your point as possible or against your case and then if you can still stand up against that then you're probably in the right so i basically did that and wrote it all into a document and then sent it out to my family and they were kind of like what the fuck um where's this coming from but yeah after a while it kind of it took a few conversations and and sort of a, a lot of knee-jerk reactions had to be the dust had to settle from a lot of knee-jerk reactions and then eventually um we just decided that we're going to go ahead and do it uh yeah i was taken to my uh uh child psychologist at the time as well just to be double sure that i wasn't completely nuts just a little bit nuts and uh they basically said yeah don't put him back in school so i was like yes she knows me and then <laughs> yeah i didn't go back so yeah that's kind of the the how i ended up leaving school story and the the the, the origin story the villain origin story or whatever um but 
yeah, so it was about a year of not knowing what to do with my life or, or what to do. I was just kind of trying to trust my gut. And then um, I came across Bitcoin. No, it was actually Ethereum, um, unfortunately. <laughs> but yeah, so I came across Ethereum and I was 12 and it was very exciting. And I was like, wow, everybody seems to care so much about this. So, and everyone said, if you want to understand Ethereum, you've got to understand Bitcoin. So then I went to learn about Bitcoin and that was where the real juicy stuff was. And I was still interested in Ethereum because I didn't quite have a grasp on the whole space. And I was 13 when I found it as well. So um, definitely the, all the cognitive functions weren't quite there yet. Uh, but yeah, I was just spent ages looking into that. And I was like, it kind of, you know, the concept of Ikigai, Obi talks about it a lot. Oh, yeah, I do, but I can't tell you what it is right now. So please explain. So it's basically... Um, I'm going to butcher this now because I think there's four circles, but I can only say three off the top of my head. So it's like a Venn diagram, right? And you've got what you love, what the world needs, what you can be paid for, and then what you're good at. And it, where all of those four things intersect is Ikigai. <laughs> and I only heard about that concept actually at the same conference that Danny ended up hiring me from. Hobie uh, told me about it. But yeah, it sort of shed a lot of light on what I was feeling about Bitcoin in those early days um, and could sort of put it into more elo eloquent idea um so yeah that was it then it was sort of escape velocity when it came to bitcoin and just every single topic that underpinned it circled it surrounded it silhouetted it just everything that kind of is under the umbrella of bitcoin because when you say bitcoin it, it could i think you can extract an entire curriculum out of bitcoin to be honest because it just encompasses so many different topics and each topic encompasses a few more itself and once you've got like what you've looked into all of those underlying topics, you've got like a hell of a curriculum on your hands and it it's a cohesive curriculum as well. It's not sort of oddly partitioned with some necessary learning of a, of Welsh, for instance, which was a part of the curriculum back in Wales. And I was like, nobody speaks Welsh. I don't even speak Welsh. I'm Welsh. So that was proof enough to me that I probably didn't want to. And if you don't want to live in Wales, then how come you're forced to learn it? Anyway, that's a rant. Um, but, <laughs> Yeah, the um, I guess that's how I found Bitcoin. Excellent. Well, Lauren, actually, who you met at the conference did just uh, arrive to ask you a question. <clears throat> she's a little late because she's been doing uh, an online course. Do you remember Angelo? Hi. Yeah. Hello again. Hello again. <laughs> And what's your question? My question is, um, what's your favorite thing about homeschooling? Oh, favorite thing about homeschooling? Freedom. Uh, and when I say freedom, that's kind of broad. What I really mean is when you have freedom, what, the things that it facilitates is an education that is a pull rather than a push. So you're pulled into things and you sort of get wrapped up in them uh there's like a lot of phrases in english where people say like um oh xyz got the better of me and it feels like that when you're learning about something you're genuinely interested in it's like oh, my interest in that just got the better of me i couldn't do anything else but learn about it and when you're learning about things like that sometimes it can just be a hell of an experience because you're just going from not knowing anything about something but thinking it's kind of cool so then you learn a bit more and each each little step you genuinely feel accomplished when you have a penny drop moment and you understand something and when you can be living in a state like that the relationship that you have to learning becomes great 
because learning is no longer synonymous with authority. It's no longer synonymous with punishment. It's no longer synonymous with disappointment or being a disappointment or any of these sort of ideas that get related to learning and sort of infused with it as a, they become a package. I think when you're in uh fiat education, because it is just that it's fiat. It's by decree. You're decreeing that you must be interested in this thing or at least pretend to be. And put a smile on your face too while you're at it and so then learning just becomes this thing that's associated with school and it's associated with teachers that you don't like because you remember those more than the ones that you do often and it just becomes this sort of muddied water and then yeah the noise of all of that just completely tarnishes the signal and the signal learning is it's, it's all we got as people as humans like it's what's take is what defines us really as different from other species and to lose that just because you weren't introduced to learning in the correct way and you never learned how to learn in a sense um i think is yeah kind of tragic in a way and i wish i had a better solution because i know that it's not it doesn't make sense for every single kid to be homeschooled like a lot of people just can't do it uh and it's a scary thought because you think like how are we actually going to fix that and despite sort of thinking of all of the inadequacies of the education system over the years i don't have a better idea other than home education and just introducing people like it's a hard it's a complex problem to solve but it's unfortunate and so home education just allows you to sort of remove yourself from that awkward dichotomy and yeah become your own person as well which gen tends to be a good idea in life i think yeah you actually figure out who you are rather than being told who you are or what you are yeah when i was at school i completely hated math and um reading but now i get through a book around like a week and they're normally quite big and i i'm actually i'm all right with math i'm not the biggest fan but you know i'm 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 better at it and I find it more fun than I used to at school. Yeah, I'm the same. I didn't like it at school. And then I left school and there was a sort of grace period where I just assumed that I still wouldn't like it. And then I stumbled upon it of my own accord and loved it. And so, yeah, I think when something is pushed down your throat, you're obviously going to want to regurgitate it. Yeah, you you said earlier, like um, you, you saw school as a waste of time um it's more I, I guess that the way i look at it it's more of a theft of time mm. because yeah. from the age of five your day is structured for you from the minute you get up to what you wear I, i'm you know to, i'm assuming you had a primary school uniform uh that you had to wear every day right you don't even have a choice in the clothes you put on and the fact especially in the uk this has been so insidious since I left school. I went to the school. I went to school in the late 80s and through to the mid 90s. School uniforms had only just started creeping in. They certainly weren't uh, prevalent at primary school age. But now whenever I go back to the UK and we're, we're walking around with mommy and your sisters and, and Samuel, and we, school, we see school throwout time, I, I honestly, it, it's child abuse to me to force a seven-year-old boy or girl into a full suit and tie and dress shoes 
they have no choice over what they wear. And it gets dressed up as, oh, it's so the poor people don't feel left out. It's such bullshit, political correct, lefty, complete and utter wank. None of those kids want to wear that. None. So you've taken away the choice of what they wear. You've taken away the choice of what time they can wake up. And you've taken away the choice of where they can sit because you are assigned on who to sit with and in what class and in what age group. And you're taking away the choice of what you are interested in or want to learn. In fact, you never know what you're interested in and you don't actually know what learning is because there's a huge difference between teaching and learning. It was John Holt that said, why is it I teach, but they don't learn? And he was a school teacher. And that's when it suddenly started clicking for him and falling down in front of his eyes, his whole career as a school teacher is like, ah, this is broken. doesn't work. Mm. Now I get it. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, it was... It was all uh, suits. It, w- it was suits and ties towards the end. And the secondary school that I went to was more just like a jump up, a full uniform. They've moved to suits now. But in primary school, I was looking for any bit of enjoyment that I could find because I was just having a horrible time there. And so one of those periods of time where I was a little bit free was on the walk to school. So I could walk to my primary school. It was quite close to my house. So I thought, you know what? I'll really enjoy I was into unicycling at the time. This is going to sound weird, but I used to <laughs> unicycle to school. So I'd have this little 12-year-old's unicycle and I'd be on it down the pavement, just falling over and everything. And they ended up saying, yeah, you can't do that. And I was like, I'm outside the gates. You, you can't tell me what to do when I leave the school. And they were like, yeah, we can. I was like, you actually can't. Like, if I'm not at school, you can't tell me what to do. Your authority only exists within these gates. And they were like, basically having a tantrum at that point because they I think they quite enjoy the authority a little bit but yeah I was so I just continued doing it but it was weird to see that even even something like that was they, they didn't speak to my parents about it so they were, clearly weren't that concerned about my safety it was literally just ah oh, he's doing something that's not normal no and Granted, it was weird. Who rides a unicycle to school? But I enjoyed it. It was fun. And it was a little bit of excitement toward at the beginning of the day and then at the end of the day coming back. And yeah, you're just not allowed to to, like you say, have any choice, basically. It's not it's not ideal at all. No, they're not allowed to like uh be different, basically. <laughs> That's what the world wants us to be. hmm Do you have any uh, questions about Bitcoin? Uh no, I'm just listening <laughs> anyways yeah um I, I think i'm gonna go but okay. um, this was interesting thank you nice yeah. to see you again bye nice to see you too thank you mate um all right so where did we get to thought you were gonna die yeah i died nearly or whatever something like that thought you're gonna die at the age of 12 went against the doctor's um, recommendation to have a, a CT scan. Uh, you find Ethereum, but then realize you, to understand Ethereum, you've got to understand Bitcoin, fell down the Bitcoin rabbit hole. Who were your influences at that point when you were trying to figure out what Bitcoin was? Who was on the scene for you? Well, when it came to Bitcoin understanding, it was uh, Andreas Antonopoulos. That was sort of the primary source of just the, the YouTube lectures and stuff like that. And then just Google, just 
anything I could find on Google, which unfortunately in hindsight ended up being, although there's a lot of Bitcoin stuff, a lot of crypto marketing, which just like rinsed the SEO on all of their articles to basically put the most uh, marketing heavy stuff at the top of the search results. So I kind of got brainwashed a little bit by that, but you know, I didn't really know, understand fully what I was learning at the time. <clears throat> but then as time went on, yeah, it kind of just started to, different pieces started to fall into place. And then we got um, Dominic Frisbee's book, which was uh, Bitcoin, the future of money. Yeah. And read some of that. And yeah, it was kind of, there was a long period, to be honest, where I was sort of holding both crypto and bitcoin in my head bitcoin is this like idea i was fully formulating and starting to understand and crypto is this idea is like oh it's too complicated i'll never understand it but it's along the same lines as bitcoin and it must be great and i think what I've, what the the flipping point from that is when you realize that the reason crypto seems more complicated and the white papers of all these different projects and stuff kind of use words that they don't need to use and they invent terminology and they use stupid things like oh we've named this part of the chain an atom and then this is a galaxy and this is a universe and these are and they just use all this lingo and it's literally just flushing your brain with just confusion there's a, a quote by Nietzsche that said um they muddy the waters so as to make it say they muddy the waters so as to make it seem deep and so when you realize that's exactly what goes on in crypto you kind of go ah shit and then you get to a certain point of understanding bitcoin where the stuff that the crypto people say stops making sense as well you you kind of start seeing the holes in it but it, it took a while because I, as a teenager you know i've never been the smartest person either so it took me quite a while to get my head around everything so luckily i did and i'm kind of a bit obsessive so i didn't stop learning about it. i'm still learning a lot about bitcoin even today i mean it's i think it is a bottomless pit um but yeah so that i guess yeah it was sort of quite a lot quite a large mix for a while and then um there was obviously john seth and the bitcoin uncensored and all of that fun stuff as well back back then but um but yeah that was uh the main people andreas man he has uh he's pilled so many of us uh, if you were around yeah. in those days and looking for that that content he was such fire and uh you know i owe a lot to him as well i i could not stop watching or sharing his videos and even now i still have the internet of money volume one next to my bed so if i'm falling asleep mm -hmm. i'll just read reread one of those talks it, it just takes me back and you still get yeah. a lot of um you know still a lot of stars align and it makes you realize actually what's fun about doing that rereading books uh, i've done it with the the bitcoin standard i've done it with knut's books as well um probably a few others i'm not doing justice to oh jan jan pritzker's book i went back and read inventing bitcoin again um uh, just recently it's like oh shit still pieces of puzzle fall into place and these are very approachable books very very they're written very um uh, very easy to digest for the for the layman um but what I love about that is you remember the mindset you were in when you first started reading it and how far you've come since then and how much of a different person you are. So like, this is what's fascinating to me for, for your generation. 
it, <laughs> you know, it's, I'm Gen X, right? So if I can pill another Gen Xer that's had a 15, 25-year career, he's probably got a good chunk of change. He can just go out and smash by some Bitcoin with and start building a position and understanding it better. You were deep down the rabbit hole at 12, 13, 14, 15, whatever. I'm guessing you didn't have 50 grand's worth of savings that you could start piling into Bitcoin. Or you're not even really allowed to open uh, an account with an exchange. So what were you doing to to get the fear? So you've you've seen the golden goose, right? It's there. Mm. Oh shit, Bitcoin fixes this. How the fuck do I get it? And and as a as a mid-team, what do you do? Like how, what what's the next step? I was looking into it with my brother as well. So he's 4 years older than me. So he was 18 at the time, which helped. Um, and yeah, we just went on CoinFloor and just yeah. put everything in, <laughs> just literally everything. But everything wasn't a lot, by the way. Like I was like, right. you know, just birthday money and Christmas money, but it was all in there. And and yeah, um, it was, I remember, it's easy to forget, but even back then, the banks really didn't like you buying Bitcoin. Like mm -hmm. people think that's a recent thing. That's been going on for ages. It's got worse, but like even back then, they were just really trying to put everything in between you and Bitcoin. And yeah, it was weird. So I think that sort of, as an early experience, increased my interest in Bitcoin because I was like, hung about these people really don't want me buying it. So yeah, I think that was kind of a good experience to get the hook in as well for me when it comes to learning more about it. Um, but yeah, it was, there's, I remember watching so many videos and stuff cause I was primarily at the time viewing it as an investment. I wasn't, I didn't have a sense of economics at all. I didn't have a sense of business or, or any of these concepts. It was all new to me and everything that I've learned has since then has basically come because of Bitcoin. That's why I chose to learn about those things. But at the time I was just completely fresh out of school where I'd been learning like going over what Henry VIII did and divorce beheaded died, divorce beheaded survived for the past like six years. So I had nothing in my head basically. So I was trying to figure out how to be a free and location time and money. And so the money aspect was what I was looking at in that period of time because that frees up the time and the location. So I was trying to figure out how to make money basically. And I heard about Bitcoin on the footnote of, well, my dad actually heard about Ethereum on the footnote of a gold bug article that uh, a newsletter that he was following and then going into bitcoin i remember hearing um so many youtube people talking about how oh you know it's a it's an unsafe investment and it's very volatile and and all of that stuff and it's funny hearing the exact same narrative today like mm -hmm. all these years later the exact same thing is being said by pretty much everybody and when you have that early memory for me that was half my life ago that people were saying that and bitcoin was at 290 pounds like it was a completely different thing, but it's the same thing. And I remember the feeling that I felt just before I was going to buy the first Bitcoin. Um, I remember looking at like these people saying it's it's unsafe and it's volatile. And I remember feeling genuinely nervous and and scared, like, oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lose my birthday money. This isn't going to be fun. And <laughs> that's exactly the same. I think I'm going to lose my birthday money feeling that is preventing a lot of people from getting into Bitcoin. Uh, along with a whole failure on the PR front of it being merged with crypto and crypto just absolutely taking a shit on everything that Bitcoin's trying to do. So there's that. But yeah, it's funny looking back at those early videos of 
people talking about it 290 and being able to remember what it felt like back then uh and it felt like the price was huge back then it felt like mm -hmm. you look at the chart i mean all you got to do is look at the chart and it's gone like this but it's always gone like this it just depends it just keeps doing it <laughs> mate it would it, it must have been so great to meet obi then was that the first time you met obi at the uh the so i'd point? met obi i'd met obi when i was um was it 14 or it's either 14 or 15 i'm not sure but it was about a couple of years prior at coinfest again so mm -hmm. both times um we're at coinfest but uh yeah i think uh i i didn't fully un he was he's a talker right so we were talking for a while i didn't fully understand everything that he was saying but i loved it i knew that i loved it and it just sort of in i think talking to him definitely pushed me back into the learning cycle even further um but yeah then he was he was there again so it was good to catch up with him um I think it had been three years in the past or four years or something. It's hard to keep track. It's so yeah. great. It's so great. And for those people that are wondering what the connection is there, Obi was the uh, the co-founder and CEO of CoinFloor, which was the exchange that you found with your brother and uh, <laughs> leveraged your brother's age to open an account so you could hoon your, your birthday money. And I, I think it's awesome, mate. That's <laughs> very ballsy. Yeah. <laughs> or is it at your age this is the thing this is what i want gen zers to understand like your level of risk is almost zero because you have the rest of your life ahead of you uh yeah it might seem like uh if you've saved two to five thousand pounds or dollars or euros whatever it is in birthday money and you know odd jobs around the house or working at waitressing waiting whatever it is like please dollar cost average don't or pound cost average, fiat cost average, don't just put it all in at once. But get something set up, and it, it is a lot easier now. There's a lot more uh, avenues to be able to um, to find those Satoshis, whether it's an on-ramp, whether it's an app, whether it's peer-to-peer. -peer. Um, how could you... Yeah, you, you could even go to meetups now, right, as a teenager, 16, 17 or something. Find your local meetup, go and talk to the Bitcoiners, explain the situation, just say, can someone please just sell me a couple of hundred quid worth of, uh, of sats? And you will find mm. people willing to do that because they can just go and replace them mm. with the exchange. That they, you know, if, if, you, if you've asked a 45-year-old dude at your local Bitcoin meetup, can I please buy 500 pounds of Bitcoin from you? If you can't get it from one guy, you'll get it from two or three. And then they can just go home and smash by on, you know, whatever app they've got. They'll be more than happy to help. So if anybody out there is listening under 18 and is worried about where the hell am I going to get my Bitcoin from, find the meetups. And if you can't find the meetups, find the Telegram groups of those meetups that you can't get to. And then, you know, start building a relationship with them in the Telegram groups or Twitter DMs, whatever. Yeah, definitely. It's possible. There's always a way around, uh, around it. And yeah, the about risk as well. It's um, I think when you're young, everything seems very scary because in one sense you've got more time to deal with the consequences of your actions. So when you're older, you've got less time. If you make a wrong decision, that there's less time. But when you're young, there's a lot of time. So mm -hmm. if you fuck up really badly early, then it feels like oh, I've got all this time to do it. But it doesn't work like that, I think, in practice, because, I mean, 
a fuck up is a fuck up no matter how old you are when you do it and it's better to make to do those fuck ups when you're young and they're small because if you wait and then you're 45 and then you fuck up and you haven't learned your lessons and you put all your money in terror and you more remortgage the house to do it and now you're completely crushed because you you didn't do it earlier on a smaller scale then that's a much worse position to to end up in so i think generally a sort of philosophy on risk for young people is take it because you will have a greater chance of healing from any repercussions when you're young than you will when you're old and don't underestimate or don't think that you can just get away with taking no risk because you have to pick your poison you have to take risk mm-hmm. there's no doubt about that so yeah and um and if you understand bitcoin enough you'll realize that it's not a risk exactly that's the beautiful thing about bitcoin and also you don't have any dependencies at that age right you, you mm. you're unlikely to have a wife and children that is yeah. a huge factor later in life so if you're taking those risks and albeit measured you know don't do anything freaking absolutely stupid if you're taking measured risks and you are the only one to suffer if they go completely wrong then whatever you just dust yourself down and you carry on and you you know you, you learn and that that is how we learn that is literally mm. how we learn um but yeah. people are too afraid to because again the way that we get taught at school is just to sit in your box do your work don't take any risks and life will be just fine whereas the opposite yeah. is the truth yeah i think uh there's a, a good quote that talks about that it says um a ship at shore is a safe ship but that's not what ships are built for right. I, I i read that when i was well it was, it was as i was coming out of school and i was like yeah it makes sense i was actually i applied it to parkour a lot back then because i was thinking about using the metaphor as the ship of the human body and like it's safe when you're not doing anything but even then it's sort of it's not safe like if you if you sit down all the time and don't get any physical activity then you're at a greater risk of somebody that's doing a, an extreme sport or something um uh and so yeah in in life i think you've got a if you're too afraid of touching the stove you might you might not ever learn why it's a really bad idea because you've got to touch some stoves you've got to fumble your way through life like nobody's going to get it perfect first try there's going to be screw ups and i've screwed up along the way as well and it's it's just a matter of being being willing to sort of accept that as just a an element of life i think and yeah when you're growing up in school everything is sort of do as you told and and you know don't step out of line you can't wear this you can't you know cycle to school because it's dangerous and everybody's trying to sort of take your freedom and replace it with safety and sell you on safety then yeah it's going to feel like that and you know i think it's sort of a bit of an issue as well is the way that the world is presented to us at the moment being through the internet and having so much scary stuff basically displayed and forced down our down, down our eyes um it's sort of a a bug of the design of information propagation to our society is that the most violent information does best because it gets the best reactions and that's what feeds the algorithms and then it comes back to you so i think it's it's easy for young people especially to just be shit scared basically and it's fair enough but it's not the whole picture it's a it's a truth there's scary stuff out there but it's a truth 
contained within a bigger truth i think and when you're sort of just trying to slug your way through your days in the sort of way that traditional education wants you to you just want to get home get home and switched off and you're not gonna find those bigger truths and you're not gonna delve into who you are and you're not going to ask questions because the last time you asked a question the teacher told you off so um yeah i think there's please don't slow down the class angelo just just write down what i've told you and stop holding everybody up um yeah this is the answer The, the, the sick thing is even if they know that's not the answer that's the answer they know that you need to write down to get the points for the test. Yeah. So the, the yeah. teacher is living a lie. They, they, they're not living their true selves in that scenario. Yeah. Um, and it's weird you brought up King Henry VIII earlier because same bullshit, same curriculum. I was forced to learn that stuff, as was my wife. We are now 46. Why the hell are we still forcing this same pointless rhyme and pointless curriculum down people's necks? Now, I was doing a little bit of research the other day, and I come across King Henry VIII. Um, did you were you ever aware that his nickname was Old Copper Nose towards the end of his life? No, not at all. No, nor did I. Never heard about it. So the reason he was called Old Copper Nose is because of uh, it's about five five years before his death, um, a policy that he put in place called the, um, which has now been nicknamed, nicknamed like all disastrous periods of history, like the great war, nothing great about that war. Uh, this period of history is known as the great debasement. I'm like, ah, oh, okay. So what was you, what were you up to Henry? <laughs> so he, you know, unsurprisingly due to his, lavish lifestyle and his penchant for waging war against the French and the Scottish, they'd run out of money. He'd basically bankrupt the uh, the crown and uh, the coffers were empty. So he ordered uh, the Great Debasement. And for two years, the uh, they were minting under his order um, coins debased with nickel and copper and, you know, any other kind of shitty base metal rather than the gold or silver that was actually in circulation. So two years they stockpiled this debased currency in the jewel tower at Westminster Palace, which is so ironically beautiful <laughs> because still to this day, that is where debasement policy is happening every freaking year or by yearly at this stage. So after two years, the stockpile is, uh, has reached sufficient levels. They need to now start getting this into uh, circulation. So the good money gets hoarded by the mint. Or what actually, what, this is the next part of the story. We'll come to that. So what happened with one of these coins, one of the silver coins, and I can't remember what it was called. Doesn't matter. Uh, after a while after it being exchanged or clanked around in your purse or your pocket or whatever else, the thin, the thin layer of silver that was across his nose because his nose was slightly protruding where they'd stamped it into the, uh, into the coin, that thin layer just slowly rubbed away, revealing, <laughs> revealing the copper underneath, <laughs> revealing the base metals underneath and revealing his crimes. You know, this is pure inflation, right? The actual definition of inflation, inflation, excuse me. Uh, 
and then this carried on uh, because he he then died uh, as this was all still in circulation. Nine-year-old King Edward the Fourth was it or fifth? Uh, he comes into power. <laughs> what does a nine-year-old know about economics? Nothing, right? So it's just the the puppet masters above him. They keep the scam going. Then he dies, and then Mary comes in, and she starts drafting up um, ideas for uh, for reform. <clears throat> but then she passes away before she could even start doing that. And it was Elizabeth I that finally um, listened to her economic advisor, which was Thomas Gresham. Was it Thomas? Anyway, Gresham. This is where Gresham's law comes from. The idea that bad money pushes out the good because all of the debased currency had pushed the actual currency, the real finer coins, into the pockets of foreign merchants that would only accept that good coin as payment or people were hoarding it. So all you're left with was this debased currency and lack of trust in the monarchy, lack of trust with foreign trade. So it was her that flipped it all around, bought all the debased currency in and started using um, real coins again. Um, so we didn't learn about that at school. No. Not even that's close. insane. Like that that is kind of insane. And the fact that it's even where the term Gresham's law comes from, which if you were designing a curriculum, you'd think we're going to be introducing this concept later down the line. If we're talking about this one, they're young, why not mention this story and explain it in a simpler way? Since I've no. been saying that you don't hear about so much. And and this remember... is to your point about you can't stop learning about these things once you've once you've found them. Once you've found something that truly interests you. Yeah, Thomas Gresham, it is. I just checked. Yeah. It's crazy. Anyway, yeah. fun, fun little histor even... historical fact for the day. It's true that they don't talk about like so much stuff that you would have thought would be like entirely necessary. But then again, I remember being given textbooks and they would be saying, Oh, by the way, like a lot of the stuff in this textbook isn't true anymore. Um, there's been new textbooks, but we can't afford them. Meanwhile, they've just like renovated the toilets and just spent 50 grand to put in your toilets. It's like, forget <laughs> the fucking toilets, man. Fix the books. It's kind of nuts. But yeah. So yeah. Shilas, Shilas Isle of Man. For those people Isle that are man. based in the UK... Uh, particularly based in the UK, because um, you know it's a very easy move for somebody in the UK to make, right? It's it's Britain. Mm. Uh, it's under yeah. slightly less. It's like uh, it's like Madeira to Portugal, I suppose, in many ways. It's a slightly autonomous mm. region. Uh, you've got no capital gains tax, I believe, and lower income mm -hmm. tax. Yeah. So, low. if there are British plebs wondering whether or not they should make the move to the Isle of Man. Why shouldn't they? You know, shill, shill away. Okay, well, you've done ninety percent of it because I don't know if you need to say much more after that. But above and beyond that, um, it's like yeah, one of the lowest employment rates in the world, uh, which is great. Um, the the weather is UK weather, uh, but surprisingly less rainy than Wales. So if anybody lives in Wales, you'll actually experience less less rain in the Isle of Man, which did surprise me. Wow. Um, 
and all the there's loads of cows and they're all grass fed and uh you can walk down uh, get a haircut with bitcoin you can go to the pub and pay in bitcoin you can have a lunch break and pay in bitcoin you can stay at a hotel and pay in bitcoin you can do most things here on the island and just pay in bitcoin with the lightning so long as you've got a lightning wallet on your phone then it's incredibly simple and to be honest coming from like so many debates with like back in the day a lot of people say oh you'll never be able to buy a coffee with bitcoin and stuff like that and having to debate that point so many times for so many years it felt like the biggest fuck you in the world to just come to this island and go and buy my first coffee in person with lightning and it just works and i was just like in, there was a deep satisfaction of like told you so in my heart at that point because yeah. <laughs> i was like the amount of conversations i've had where people are like oh yeah but yeah, there's transaction fees and this and that and it's just such a go-to because the easiest thing to do is misinterpret the misinterpret the innovation of bitcoin as purely uh alternative to currencies and then just try and defame that point as much as you can it's the easiest straw man to do against bitcoin so everyone does it but it doesn't work anymore and you can experience it firsthand on the Isle of Man, which is awesome. And uh, yeah, other than that, it's just a pretty cool place, to be honest. And uh, I won't lie, I don't think I've looked up much. I've been so head down in Bitcoin stuff and and German just, just working. I don't think I've sort of taken a breath of fresh air and looked around. But um, it is a pretty island as well. So if you like coastal walks and stuff, yeah, there's plenty of those in the UK. But Isle of Man's good for that, that type of stuff too. Is there a good bar, restaurant scene, pub scene like that that uh, younger people might be interested in coming and checking out? It's a good pub scene. It's uh, the UK at the end of the day. So there's going to be pubs basically every corner. Uh, but the difference is in the Alamand, they say Bitcoin accepted here on the windows. Love it. So if you're, if you're a teen pleb or just a pleb in general, you'll appreciate that. And you're well served there, right? With fast Bitcoins and with Coin Corner, uh, you could have an account with both. And, you know, Coin Corner's offering is the, uh, the bolt card where you can just go and tap and, you know, pay whatever. Uh, and Fast Bitcoins, uh, as, as, as I understand it, Danny is trying to push the idea that um, like banking services almost are going to be, uh, become the norm under a, under a Bitcoin standard, uh, especially in the Isle of Man and, and hopefully wider throughout the UK. Yeah, well, it already is in, in the Isle of Man, um, to, in, at least from like a merchant services perspective, just to, just paying for stuff as you walk around. But yeah, it's um, there's Danny is a a character that just um, never fails to amaze. Every day, there's just something that makes you go, "Holy shit!" And so, yeah, the the future is looking really exciting. A lot of work to be done still, um, but yeah, I'm very excited for 2023 there's going to be a hell of a lot of cool shit going on um from us so yeah it's going to be pretty cool well seems to me you found the exact spot you need to be mate so congratulations well done final question if you had just one orange pill left to give to somebody who would you give it to and why oh jesus christ um good good pick (laughs) <laughs> yeah <laughs> uh, i'm not sure yeah he's quite old um who would one orange pill do they yep. so it's just of somebody that's alive today right yeah let's go with alive yeah okay 
I don't know. I want to say Elon Musk just because he's been pissing me off so much because I don't believe that somebody who's genuinely intelligent can just get something so wrong for so long. So I'm just going to go with that because that is just so excruciating to hear him talk about Bitcoin and Dogecoin and all this shit. Um, for a guy that's able to build fucking rockets, like, come on, at this point, I would love to see him just finally be orange-pilled. Um, so yeah, I'll probably go with that. That's purely just because it's annoying to hear him talk about Bitcoin and crypto. <laughs> yeah. Yes, it is. And maybe it is a uh, a key indicator to to the rest of us that perhaps he's not as intelligent as we've all been led mm -hmm. to believe. And maybe. Perhaps, yeah. perhaps the people building the rockets are the actual scientists and engineers that he pays to build the rockets. Well, yeah, there's that, of course. But uh, <laughs> I just mean as a, at least as a figurehead of that in the public media, yeah. Um, I think he's got too much influence to be shilling shit coins like Dogecoin. It's just, yes, yeah, it's unfortunate because people will buy it. Oh, he's going to wreck a lot of people. It's 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 truly um irresponsible, really. Yeah, it's it's very sad to see. Um, because people will get hurt, and these are real people with real families. He doesn't care. He's a billionaire, yeah. ten times over. Like you know, he he's probably pumping and dumping the damn thing. Who knows? Uh, but mm -hmm. in the meantime, you know, there's uh you know, there's a huge moral hazard there. Anything that you tweet is gonna affect a lot of people. Mm. And he knows that it does as well, which is which just makes it worse. Like because he's he's tweeted about or, or spoken about how um people believe that his tweets can affect the markets now and stuff, and that's why he was under some trouble, I think, last year. And then yeah, it doesn't seem to prevent him from tweeting about dogecoin and i like dogecoin really like one of his genuine reasons for the reason that he chose Do dogecoin is because uh the the universe has a has a nice way of being funny and i think that it, it'll be funny again and it's like <laughs> what the fuck it's weird yeah. but uh yeah that is odd good question though i like that question a lot i'm gonna use that on somebody because i'll have to think about it and i'll message you a better answer at some point but yeah well, don't lose any sleep over it, man. You've got work to do tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> That's true, yeah. All right, well, thanks for hanging out. Really great to uh, to catch up. Uh, it was great to meet you in Amsterdam. Uh, are you going to be at any of the yes. conferences in 23? Any any plans? Uh, no plans solidified at the moment, but hopefully, yeah. All right, cool. Well, I hope to run into you at uh, a few of those. And uh, I need to come and visit the island and see the two Dannys at some stage. So if I do, yes, we'll be able to uh, do, yeah. we'll be able to get out, have a beer or a coffee or you know whatever we can grab. Yeah, it'd be good fun. All right, brother. Thank you so much. Thank you. Well, guys, hope you enjoyed that rip with Angelo. And like I said at the beginning of the show, I hope this makes you bullish AF for the future. I have another young man coming on the show in a few weeks' time, Blake Kaufman, who's just 19, and he's mining Bitcoin in his college dorm. Uh, there's so much going on in this space from every different walk of life that you could imagine and every different age group that you could imagine. So keep pushing. Whatever it is you are doing, whatever project you are building, get out there and build it. The best way to do that is to collaborate to conspire with your fellow plebs. Uh, so go out, find them, go to a conference. There's a few this year, 2023's big year for conference. Prague is coming up, BTC Prague is gonna be huge. It is aggressively priced. Sailor has been announced. There's gonna be more announcements coming up. 
So look into it, btcprague.com. And if you use the code BITTEN, you will get 10% off. These links that I talk about are all in the show notes or on my link tree or on my Vita page. So make sure you go find them or DM me if you want the link or a code to something else. And I'll do my best, my damnedest, to find you as many discounts as I can for Bitcoin merch, etc. But there is plenty, plenty on there. There's even discounts for the Heatbit mining machine, for t-shirts, hoodies, caps, whatever you want from Six and Lemon or Ungovernable Misfits. There's discounts on Consensus Network that for your books in as many different languages as you can. There's discounts on uh, non-seed oil massa chips fried in beef tallow from Really Tan Man. You can get 10% off those uh, on, um, on my Linktree page or Vita page. Just go find the links. Go check it out. There's tons on there. Shamari are on there too. And you can get the uh, the books from Scott and Mallory for your little ones, your really little ones, and the game Shamari, the mining game. Uh, anyway, like I said, meet your plebs. Orange Pill app is now live on Android and Apple. There's more users joining Orange Pill app every single day, and there are bigger and better plans coming. There are some very cool stories. If you follow Orange Pill app on Twitter as well, uh, you'll see they've got a pretty good meme game. And you will also see that they are running a Spaces each month, uh, which is getting really good uh, attendance. Um, Go check it out. Figure it out. It is a paid app. It's a paid app for plebs. The paid app keeps crawlers and bots and... Nobody wants to know how your tradings is going. <laughs> it's just for the plebs to find each other, and it's uh, it's working out well so far. Make sure you're stacking safe. Uh, Fast Bitcoins is where Angelo works in Isle of Man, so go and check out those guys if you are looking for another solution to stack some sats. Uh, you've got Swan, Relay, Coin Corner, and Hoddle Hoddle, all supporters of the show. You've got Wasabi to try out the coin join, and you've got the Bitbox O2. And I leave this to the end because I want you to please understand without the music in the background, please understand it is so important to take control of your Bitcoin, not your keys, not your coin. So the way you do that is you take them off the exchange and you get them straight onto a signing device or a hardware wallet. They can be called either. The names are interchangeable. It means the same thing. Shiftcrypto.ch forward slash bitten. Get the Bitbox 2 Bitcoin only edition and use the code BITTEN to get 5% discount. That's it. Please stack safe. Look forward to the next show. Take care, guys.